It is time for the new Dan Vogler 4D Experience Podcast. Are you ready? Buckle in. Let's go for a ride. Testing, testing, one, two, three, testing, testing, come with me, testing, testing, ran to the day, testing, testing, listen to what I say, okay, welcome to the Dan Fogler 40 Experience Podcast. Oh, I recently put a statement out on uh, transgender equality on Twitter. Uh, people were asking me, like, who asked you to put the statement out? Uh, you know, I, I was like, yeah, you know, I don't know how much my opinion, you know, really matters as a, you know, white, cisgendered male, you know, like, I, I, I feel like now is the time for a lot of us to just listen, you know, sit back and listen. And I really had to do some, you know, self-education, do a little research, look inside, see how I really feel about this. Um, Because of uh, uh, what my boss, you know, what her thoughts have been openly on Twitter. And I want to get into that. She has a certain perspective, um, very specific perspective, and I hope to really focus in on that with my guests, what her, what her fear really stems from, um, and because she was, she was abused by uh, her ex-husband, and she has a strong stance on women's rights, and I, I, I get that, I get that, I, you know, I got my wife, I got two daughters, um, you know, I would fight. I would fight to the death for my my girls' rights, and I would hope that you know, there's so many people out there that are saying, uh, "Hey, yes, you know, we we, you know, yes, and look at us. Look at everything that's going on with us. You know, look at our plight." And I hope that she would do hoped. Hopefully she would do what I'm, what I'm doing, really just try to research it and educate myself on all sides. And if you, listen, if you look at her tweet, she says she loves everybody. She loves transgendered people. And, but, but a lot of the, the hate is focused on um, the specific issue of biology, I think. Where, you know, if you're... If you have, if one, if a person has a vagina, they're a woman, and if a, a person has a penis, they're a man. But um, I mean, I, I've, and I, and when I put my statement out on Twitter, that's what I, a lot of the argument that I got back. It's like there is no, and then I, I, I feel like people can't separate the biology from the real existential question here: Who am I? 
what is my soul? What is my character? What is my, who am I on the inside? You know, who, what do I identify with on the inside? That's, I think, therefore I am, you know? Um, and who am I to, to judge someone? Um, how can I tell somebody that they're any different <laughs> than what they tell me they are? Um, and because there's, there's more than two categories. There's, there's women with vaginas and there's men with dicks and there's, there's chicks with dicks and there's, uh, you know, we all saw the crying game and, uh, and then there's dudes with vaginas, you know, uh, they were born this way and, uh, there's, there are people who are hermaphroditic. They're a little of both. Um, and so already there's more, there's right there, there's a lot more categories than just two. And I would think that people would, educated people would be able to, to think outside of the box and say, wait a minute, wait, 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 this is a little bit more complicated than just a, you know, a binary thing here, you know? We are living in the third dimension after all, you know? A lot of people forget that. A lot of people see things as black and white, but there is often an other. There's, there's often a gray area that uh, is a percentage of, uh, in the spectrum, you know. It's fluid. Um, so when you're talking about, uh, the, when the question is about, you know, who, who are you? You can't use biology, you know, then you're just judging someone on the exterior. And if on the inside they associate with being something than, different than what they are on the outside, then, then, it's, then it's an existential question, you know, it's, it's, it's bigger than just, than biology. You're, we are, you're more, would you want someone to judge you on your exterior? You know, am I just my dick? <laughs> I hope not. I mean, you know, I haven't had any complaints. You got to have the sugar with the medicine, folks. I got to make you laugh. I have to laugh. You have to laugh. These are big subjects. They're so big that they need bigger science, I think, than just biology. So I like to use quantum physics when talking about this question of transgender um, equality. This is something, you know, this is why Twitter's ridiculous, because how could, how could you say all this in a hashtag, people? You can't. And that's why you get, you get people being like, well, what I wanted to say was, and what I didn't get to say was, and I, I didn't have enough money for more uh, text bladders. Oh my God, I'm out of my mind. So, what do, I, what do I mean by explaining uh, transgender equality by quantum field theory? Okay, so they say in, uh, in quantum physics that we are the third dimension, everything inside the third dimension. We're, we're living in the past, present, and future at all times. Everything is happening now. You are being informed by your past and you're being informed by your future. Um, 
And so that means that we're all in flux. That means that we're all transitioning. Um, you look at uh, a butterfly. Uh, it's the caterpillar and the butterfly at the same time. It's both. If we're talking about quantum physics and we're talking about the quantum field, everybody is in transition. Everybody is a different person than they were yesterday. And we're all transitioning toward... Now, this is, this is something that is a much bigger question. Who are we? Who am I? And we see a person who is saying, you know what? I'm, I'm getting to the bottom of who I am. And it, I think it frightens us. I think that we wonder where we're transitioning to, you know, deep down. Our mortality, what comes next, the unknown. And these people that are taking their, the reins of their lives and steering their lives with their own hands, you have to admire that. You have to say, you know, damn it, good for you. Like, you, you don't, don't, don't feel uncomfortable, you know, anymore. You know, please. Can you imagine not feeling comfortable in your own body? The more people that we, think of it this way, the more people we have comfortable in their body, the more they're going to project and vibrate the love frequency, man. They're going to feel love. They're going to love themselves. Shit, that's just good for the world. Inclusiveness, love. That is what we need right now. And I love JK. She has created a part for me that's probably the greatest part I'll ever play in my life. I, I feel like she wrote it for me. And at the root of it is this guy who is, you know, unaccepted by the wizarding world. <laughs> and he's, he's a, you know, a nomad. He's looked at as a lower class person. Uh, and he can't help but falling in love. He can't help but fall in love with this, this witch. And at the core, it's like, the question is, will love triumph? Will their love triumph over over the racism that they're facing. It's funny, I feel like almost every single one of her characters is fighting with being, with being accepted. Harry, you know, everyone is fighting. There's, you have hybrid characters who are, are one thing and the other thing at the same time. Werewolves, Centaurs. I mean, it's, it's, I thought that she was, I thought that she had written all this already, that she could teach us a class in all this about acceptance. Um, but 
I guess the lesson is, is that sometimes even our heroes, even our leaders, even even the wisest of us have they have pain and they have fear and they have their experiences that they have fought for and you you have to acknowledge that as well you you can't attack her for that i, I don't understand attacking anybody arguing is is crazy to me because it's proven that you know Everything changes week to week. We're arguing one thing one week and we're arguing against it the next week. You know, it's like, how can you argue anything? You, you have to just listen and then try to explain your side. Because if you attack somebody, they just go on the defense and they can't hear you, man. They just can't hear you. This is stuff I'm learning with my kids, like... I'm learning that if I don't, if I, if I shame my kids in any way, if I make them feel shitty for an idea that they had, something they did, you know, if I don't relate to them and put myself in a position where I learned a lesson from the situation, stories, you tell a story how you were in a similar situation and what you learned from it and that you and you hope that the other person gleans from that your side of the story sugar with the medicine baby i don't understand how people <clears throat> they people they send vinegar with the medicine they send the fucking pff, fucking mace with the medicine you think people are going to be able to hear your side? It's very strange times we're living in. Hopefully my guests will be able to um, answer a lot of my questions and a lot of, uh, hopefully, your questions out there about this particular subject. We, we, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing some experts on here. So, um. so we have James Lucene coming on. Um, He's first, and he is a uh, the co-founder of the Trevor Project, um, and has become a, a great friend to my family. And so, be amazing to hear his thoughts. I also have um, transgender uh, woman named Dana Levinson, and uh, she is an actor. And she um, is a huge Harry Potter fan. And she recently wrote like an open letter to JK um, telling, um, you know, her experience and really trying to reach out to JK and, and, uh, and try to uh, create a, you know, a dialogue. When you listen to our conversation, you know, it... It takes me a while to get the message. You know, I'm looking through, um, I guess, what, sh what she would call a cisgendered uh, view, you know. Um, and I guess if I can, what I can take away 
from what she taught me, if I can distill it down to um, one idea. This is not about women becoming men and men becoming women. It's about women becoming women and men becoming men. It's about souls that are born in a body that doesn't match their soul. And I guess if you believe in God, what I've learned, you know, I, I'm, I, I was bar mitzvahed, you know, but that's, that's basically the... <laughs> I, I'm a high holiday Jew, you know, I, I don't really... I don't know what's out there. I, I, I believe in a... I believe in an intelligent universe. Um, and I believe that if there, if there is a God out there, because I don't want to rule out anything, that God is all. It's everything. God is man, woman, you know, everything, every element, everything that exists is God. We're, we're all pieces, our, all our souls, our little... <clears throat> um, Sparks from God contained in little cells, little vessels. We're the brain cells. You know, we, we're, we're supposed to go out and we're supposed to, to learn. <laughs> so God doesn't make mistakes. God only sets up situations in which to learn. And bring those lessons back to to the source, um, to the to the collective consciousness, to the all. Um, we're all here on our own journeys, learning our own lessons. Some of us over and over and over again. If you believe in reincarnation, and there's a reason, there's a purpose, there's a reason for everyone. And, um, and there are lessons to be learned. James Lucene. James Lucene. You know what I mean. <laughs> On the scene. Uh, let's see, Red. How you doing? I'm good. I just had a little trouble getting through, but here I am. That's fine, man. You're here, and we're ready to rock. Um I would love to, you know, we have, we're going to talk a little bit and then we're going to bring on Dana. And um, my, you are friends with my wife and you guys met. I'd love to talk about um, Hoffman and I'd love to talk about um, that experience in a second. Um, but first, uh, how are you? Where are you right now? I'm, um, I'm 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 where I live in Kingston, New York, um, which is about two hours north of Manhattan. Um, uh, I live on a little tiny farm um, with my dearest friend, and uh, it's a beautiful day here in Kingston. And I'm very grateful to be here. And I've been here for what 105 days and counting. And you're, and are you? Um, 
feeling the brunt of the lockdown or the the riots or anything, or are you just kind of secluded where you're at? You know, I'm I, I'm I'm certainly aware of what's going on in the world, but in a big, big way, um, you know, I feel, uh, I guess, you know, I've been traveling around the United States for the past two and a half years, uh, working with LGBT and allied young people, and that came to a sudden stop right, you know, in the beginning of March. Um, so we what we do is we do these workshops for young people um, and we quickly pivoted and sort of put them online. Uh, and so I've been working really hard uh, to really serve the needs of these young people who are in their houses all over the United States. Many of them, you know, live with parents who aren't particularly accepting um, and some of them have parents who are accepting of who they are, but um, it's a challenge for them at that age. So we provide these works there, like creative workshops. We teach them. We don't teach them so much as we give them opportunities to tell their true stories and uh, songwriting, um, different creative writer prompts. So that's what I've been really involved in, and they are very much aware of what's going on. Um, you know, many of them... We have a whole group of them in Minneapolis, not far from the tests. So they're able to actually talk to the other young people who are from around the country, telling them what's going on. It's really, it's really amazing. They are so eager to get out into the world, but of course, in many cases, their parents won't let them be a part of the protest. So they have to do it from the sidelines, just like they can't vote, but they wish they could. So that's what's been that's been occupying me. Um, that and you know, like, like 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 many white people, I think I'm going through a you know a big period of self-examination and reading and right. trying to be as active as I can from here. The last time I saw you was at uh, Joe's Pub, and that was uh, for the Future Perfect project, yeah. right? Yeah, the, yeah, the and... Future Perfect project. That that's the project that we travel in with. Yeah. Beautiful, and the music was so powerful and really quite catchy, and I'm just wondering, yeah. what's going on with it? Is it, well, is it just know, slowed down because of, or, or is, it, is, it, is it expanding during this time? Or Well, you know, we're continuing to work on it, but, like, the theater is in a big, big change. Um, like, what's happening in yeah. the American theater, just because of, you know, Many people who are working within the the American theater are black and brown people, and they are yep. basically calling for the American theater to change. And um, I think that's going to have a huge impact on what people decide, what kind of work people decide to uh, put forward when we come out of this. And so I'm, I'm, I'm sort of pulling back a little bit. As a person, I feel like it's time to make some room for other voices that maybe haven't had as much opportunity as I've had in my life. Um, so we're continuing to work on it, but I'm not pushing forward in any way at this moment. And, and there's no theater to be had, right? So we're just working on it in our in the privacy of our own <laughs> fantasy. 
Yeah, everything is going to get overhauled. I mean, it's, I'm just so curious what it's going to look like. People, you know, safe distancing while watching a show and, you know, with plexiglass in front of it. I don't know. It's, I, I'm just like so confused as to, and, and, uh, Celia, Celia Keenan Bolger, um, who was in Spelling Bee with me, she was circulating this manifesto, which is basically the me, the me too movement for, um, uh, people of color who have felt some sort of, um, you know, biased uh, discrimination and they're calling people out, you know? <laughs> and so it's, uh, it's, it's going to be an interesting playing field, you know, once this is all over. I mean, as it should yeah, be, everything should be sh- shaken it should up. Be, you, know? It's gonna, you know, theater's responsibility is to reflect the yes. society we live, right? So society is changing and like the theater is going to have to change to accommodate that. And there's going to be so many, more stories that are going to be able to be told right now um, when we come out of this. And I feel like those are the stories that are, uh, that are going to need to be told right, right up front, you know, the stories of racial inequity and um, how we're adjusting to that. Um, you know, the story that I'm trying to tell with these young people is happening because the reason I got so interested in them was because they were so into this idea of this revolution that was coming. They are the revolution, these young LGBT and allied youth. They're, they're just so on the cutting edge of, you know, everything that's new. So I just wanted to amplify their voices in some way. Um, so I'm doing it in every way I can. The musical was just really just one other way of doing that. You're the, uh, the co-founder of the Trevor Project. Uh, you wrote the, the short film Trevor, which won an Academy Award uh, for Best Live Action Short. Um, so what is what explain to the, oh, my audience what the Trevor Project is? So the Trevor Project, um, I wrote a, as you mentioned, I wrote a film uh, back in the 90s uh, called Trevor about a 13-year-old boy who, uh, it, you know, realizes that he's gay and he attempts suicide. And he doesn't actually um, go through with it, but he kind of awakens to why he's different. And it's a very funny film, and it's also very touching. And it was the inspiration behind uh, starting the Trevor Project, because in 1998, when we started the Trevor Project, we did it because the film was being put on HBO, and we thought there should be a telephone number where young LGBT people could call if they were in a situation where they were having trouble accepting themselves, um, or if they recognize themselves in the character of Trevor. So that was 20-something years ago, and we've been saving young lives uh, ever since, every day since then. Uh, it's kind of a miracle to me that a tiny little 15-minute story uh, launched this entire life-saving effort that's been going on for 20-something years. And uh, now we have Trevor Chat, and there's Trevor Text. There's something called Trevor Space, which is like a kind of Facebook or peer-to-peer support among young people. Um, It's like a huge operation now. And I think it's really created the second wave um, of queer young people because 
they are really like you know with a little bit of support uh they have blossomed into the most amazing generation of young people I've ever seen and not just LGBT people but like you know all young people really under the age of 19 I just find them incredible and my experience as I've traveled around the country everywhere like going I wanted to see if it was happening like in Alabama and Arkansas and you know Iowa and you know Mississippi and Washington State it's happening everywhere it's kind of a very quiet revolution that I, um, I'm, I, I'm very excited by. Good. Thank God. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, look, I think you know, when anybody to... has the courage to be themselves, um, it yeah. either upsets other people around them or it inspires other people to be themselves. And I think what we need right now in the world are many more people with the courage to be themselves. And these young people are showing us how. Um, do you mind if we talk about Hoffman for a second? I didn't even ask you. I know some people. Not at more. all. Not at all. I, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm happy to. So Hoffman, for my audience, I mentioned a couple times. It's the it's this program. It's like like a Zen retreat where you do really. It's like a self reflection retreat, and you. Um, it's kind of great. You get rid of your phone and you detach from the world for a while and you're in a really nice area and you have these guides, these teachers who really help you get to the bottom of what, you know, makes you you. And a lot of it has to do with, I found, um, forgiving, you know, your parents, you know, for, for all the crazy uh, mistakes that they made, you know, um, and realizing that they were just kids too at the time and, you know, uh, we're all in this together, you know, that that's what I gleaned from it. Um, and I, and you met my wife, um, uh, when, when you guys did the program and you guys have been friends since, which is lovely. And, um, and I was just thinking about Hoffman and I was thinking like, do you, what, what do you think about this? Do you think it could be applied to rooting out racism and discrimination in people and extracting it? Like you kind of, you know, how, like we extracted our pain, you know, I don't know that it, I don't know that racism can be extracted. I think one of the things that one has to do, and certainly it happened to me, like when you described Hoffman as a sort of Zen experience, which is, it sounds like you just sit around doing nothing, which was couldn't be further from the truth, because as you know, yeah. it's so rigorous, it's so physically rigorous and emotionally rigorous spiritually rigorous because you have to look at your life. You have to look at the causes that have been, you know, made on your behalf and also the causes you have made in your own life on your own behalf. And I think that, you know, what I learned there was not so much that things could be eradicated or uprooted or taken out and thrown away, was that I could look at them in a different way and I could have a completely different perspective um, of something that was really difficult and causing a problem in my life. So in as much as that, that I think that that could be applied to um, a group of people who were dedicated to looking at themselves um, and their own racist uh, behavior, um, I, yeah, I think it could work. It's more like it's more like 
waking up to your own uh, causes that you make in your life. You know, I did a, 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 a you know, I, <laughs> it makes me sound like such a workshop junkie, but uh, about a year ago I did a workshop called White People Fighting Racism. Uh, it's in Philadelphia, group of, you sit with a weekend with about 20 other white people, and basically you do that. You, you look at your life and you, you're, where you, you are racist. And it's a very challenging process because we all like to think of ourselves, um, or everybody I know likes to think of themselves as, oh, I'm not racist. Like, I, you know, I love everybody. Everybody's cool, you know. But what I learned was that I had to move um, from being not racist to being an anti-racist. And that is a big, that's a big step for many white people to be actively involved in fighting racism. So I think that, you know, something like Hoffman can actually illuminate those parts in yourself where you could use some work. But I don't think they don't, they, that's not their, their, their mission or their mandate. No, yes, but I know, but I'm wondering if there's some kind of, there is some kind of workshop, you know, where, and it's exhausting. It was very rigorous, but I say it's then because at the end, like once the chatter in your head goes away, um, at least it did for me. And once I was disconnected, I, I felt the real calm come over me. Uh, and, and by the end, I just, I just, yeah, I was just in a real, you know, plastic place. And I feel like if people are able to go in and, and somehow extract this stuff and deal with this stuff and they have a method that maybe there is some kind of, you know, scientific method to extracting racism or, or at least trying to dissolve it or trying to analyze it, help people see it in themselves. Um, the other well, thing I would say I did, this to, for me that it put everybody in the room deeper into their own humanity, right? And you got to see everybody struggling with what it means to be a human being. And that is a helpful thing, especially when in the room with other people um, who are not like you. And you may have made assumptions about them, regardless whether it's the color of their skin or their religion or the way they look in any way. Like when you see them struggling with the huge things that human beings have to struggle with, um, you just you just gain respect for them. So in that sense, I think it could be not so much about extracting uh, something as as it is integrating it into the way that you see other human beings. I think one of the things that's been so uh, in, enlightening to many people in this country over the past uh, few weeks is to understand how deeply black people suffer in this country. And that you know, we've just been moving along as if, like, oh, everything's fine. And for that's not for black people. It's not fine for them. And we haven't really been awake to their suffering to the degree that we're willing to help stop it. Um, there was one, absolutely, and there was one aspect of uh, also with Hoffman that the, one of the skills they taught us was, it was like an alchemy. Like, you take a bad feeling... And you change that energy, you, you, you siphon it through a good thought, and you're able to change that 
pain or bad feeling in your body into something positive. And I'm and I'm I'm like, yes, there's something to that. There's something to mind over matter. Because that's also at the crux of the, the trans uh gender. Uh, I believe the transgender question because I'm realizing it's 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 more than biology. It's so much more than biology. It's it's really a question of of the soul. It's an existential question. Yeah. You know? And so this like when I did Tony Robbins, there was a a, a, a self hypnosis factor where you I don't know if you did that, but uh, Jody and I did it. <clears throat> and did you did you ever do? You ever walk across the coals? You ever do that? No, <laughs> that's maybe so one this, I haven't done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 crazy, you know. Um, but I did it, and, and a, a portion of it was that you. Uh, self-hypnotize yourself you say over and over in your head you look away from you you look away from the fire you look away from the pot coals you uh, walk at a steady pace and you say in your head over and over again the opposite cool moss cool moss Mm -hmm. and you actually convince yourself that you know you're walking in a field of cool moss i did and and so I think there's something to that, especially if you if it crosses over into the, um, the with the transgender um, equality question, where it's or this the, tra- the trans the transgender um, question in general, where it's a legitimate thing, where it's like you know a, a lot of the argument is. How, how do you, is is a bio, like I said a biological argument and but this is a question of of the soul it's 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 who am I it's know thyself and I feel like if these people are telling themselves I am a woman I am a woman they're feeling it I am a woman then and they believe it. Then let me ask you a question. You are you are what you think. You are what you, you know. Well, well let me ask. Therefore, you, you are. Do you, do you, yeah. Do you walk around trying to convince yourself that you're a man? No, no, I don't. Um, yeah, I don't think we, right. you need to because you know who you are. It's not a question of having right. to convince yourself that you're a man. You are a man. And right. I think the same goes for people who are transgender. They know themselves to be who they are. And, right. You know, in the same way the that you is, know who, and who, is anyone, who you are. Who is anyone to tell them differently? You know, it's... it's uh, okay, I, wanna, I wanted to get into all this when uh, Dana gets here. Um, she'll be on, yeah. like, in a, in a few minutes. Before she gets on, I have a, I have a thing with names. And names are a big thing with this particular subject because people change their identities. They change their names. Um, I know your friend, uh, your close friend, Eve Ensler, recently changed her name. I wanted to talk about that. Um, But do you know what your name means? What my name means? Yeah. Um, Do you mean like my first name or my last name? Both. What is the, do you know the haiku of your name? James Lassine. 
<laughs> you know what? I guess I the poetry. Okay, I, I you want to hear it? Yeah, sure. You tell me. Okay, you, you're, <laughs> your name <laughs> is like a Disney villain, man. It's like <laughs> in, in the best way. Okay, so James, <laughs> James means supplanter. Did you know that? When it say that again, it means what? Supplanter. Supplanter of the throne. Someone who takes the throne. Okay? Yeah, okay. I'm ta- I'm changing my yeah. name immediately. <laughs> yeah. And your last name, <laughs> Lacine, is the Swan. So your full poetic name here, I don't know your middle name, but your your first and last name is Supplanter the Swan. Oh, wow! Awesome. Yes, you're right. It does sound like a slightly villainous. <laughs> yes! Supplanter the Swan. <laughs> it's like uh, Shakespearean. I don't know. Uh, do you like it? Um... Uh, like I said, I think maybe I'm going to be changing my name soon. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, I see. You, I, I thought you were going to change it to Supplanter. You're just like, no, no, I don't like Supplanter. <laughs> no, I, 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 don't, I don't think – I don't feel that Supplanter is really something that I'm, I'm into. I, I don't want to supplant no, I, anybody. Yeah, see, you learn something new every day. You know, but, you know, you're, you're the choice of you, – you make the choice of what you want to Supplant. You know what? What throne? You know. Yeah, I'm not you big may, on uh, thrones either. So it's all very complicated. <laughs> I, I, I don't want a throne. I don't. I, you know, I, I don't want to plant anybody who's on a throne. Like the whole thing. Is... And the, the swan. And the swan. I, I can accept the swan. You know, like I'll accept that. Oh, I, I think Dana. Dana. Hello. Yeah. Hi, how are you? You're on with uh, Dan Fogler and, uh, and James Lassine. How you doing? Dana! I'm, hey, I'm doing well. How are you both doing? We're good. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having Dana, me. Dana, I, I, I met you at the Marble Collegiate Church with um, that event, that beautiful event that Eve Ensler put together. And uh, we met yes. very briefly. Yes, I remember, via Ryan. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yep. It's lovely to talk to you again. Yeah, you too. So, Dana, um, I just want to give um, a little introduction here for the audience. Um, so, in in light of current events, just from your uh, bio page, um, here's some information on how you can support and nourish black trans women visit the Okra Project and the Marsha P. Johnson Institute. So we had a couple steps forward and a couple steps back um, in the yeah. last couple of days. Uh, Trump took away some, some, um, some health rights, and then we just had a big win in, in the Supreme Court today, right? You just had a uh, – um, where they said that uh, employers uh, can't discriminate against transgender people, right? Yep, and also on top of that, it actually vacates the uh, Health and Human Services regulation from Friday. So it, in fact, undoes what Trump did last week, or undoes, rather. That's amazing. Okay, so it's yeah. 
it's just a constant tango here. Okay. So, um, Dana, before you came on, we were, um, we were talking about names. I do a thing where I do, uh, where I tell people what their names actually mean. I look up the meanings of their names. And, um, and I knew that was like, I know that uh, Eve Ensler recently changed her name uh, to just V. And I wanted to talk yep. about that. And I wanted to talk about um, if you changed your name. And, uh, and if you wanted to know, I looked up what the meaning of your name is. And, um, and then I usually I tell people, you know, uh, their name meaning and, you know, there's some kind of revelation there. But uh, um, so let's, let's talk about uh, Eve for a second. So why did, yeah. why, did she change, why did she change her name recently just to, to V? Oh, that's a well, question. Is, that, as, is that a question for me or for Dana? Well, you, um, I know that you both know her. I was wondering if you, if you had a clue as to what the uh, the origin was for her to change her name. Yeah, um, I I have a clue. Uh, the um, so she had written uh, something called the apology. Um, which was the basically the apology letter that she never got from her father. Um, and she's talked at length about abuse and stuff like that. And um, from what I understand, I don't want to put words in her mouth, but from what I understand, she wanted to kind of reclaim her power. Um, and she felt that Eve was the name that her father gave her, so she wanted to rename herself. Gotcha. And James, is that is that what you heard as well? Yeah, yeah, that's very, uh, very well put. And you know, I think it's as as Dana said, we don't want to put words in her mouth. But I think those are the things that she said publicly um, that she yeah. didn't really relate to those names that she had, either her last name or her first name um, anymore. So she wanted to, yeah. like, and and I think you know one of the things that uh, it's been helpful for her, as it is for many of us older people, is to see younger people doing this and uh, sort of claiming their names when they're, like, 12 and 13, 14, 15, 16 years old and saying, like, wait, that's not who I am, that name that I was given. Um, This is my true self. And I want to express that part of myself. Some of us just kind of go on for a very long time. (laughs) Yeah. Dana... Aaliyah Levinson is an actor, a writer, a composer, and a trans advocate. They can be seen in the upcoming third season of American Gods, the current season of The Good Fight, and the feature film Adam, now streaming on Hulu and Amazon. Dana's visual album, Falling, directed by Zen Pace, and generously supported by V. Ensler and One Billion Rising, premiered with paper magazine this year um that sounds great i re- i american gods i read that comic book and and i'm excited to uh actually start watching the show how 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 was it working on the show um it was truly one of my favorite experiences um great i um can you talk about it or what what's the character the- so i can't talk about the character or any plot details but What I will say is just it was one of those sets where it really just felt like there was no egos 
it felt like everyone was there just to make a good show. Um, and especially walking into a situation where a show's been running for, you know, three seasons and you're walking in there as a new actor. Um, I think that all of the series regulars just so set um, such a welcoming tone for the experience for like anyone um, coming in. I mean, also I feel like they're used to it because that show is famous for their like uh, recurrings and episode guest stars and stuff like that. So they got a lot of people coming in and out on that show, but um, yeah, it was just a absolutely beautiful and incredible experience. And what I will say uh, about the character is just, um, it was beautiful to get the opportunity to play a, um, a trans character whose um, story doesn't revolve around her transness. Um, I don't think I'm breaking any rules by saying that, but she very much um, has her own storyline outside of that um, in a way that's really beautiful. Is she a god? I can't say. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, all right, all right. Uh, say no more. <laughs> um, okay, so let's talk about your name for a second here, Dana. So did you yeah. change it uh, from, from Daniel? or what, what? Because that's what I found was the origin, or what was the original, or was it always Dana? So it was not my name before. However, okay. um, I am not going to say what my name before was. Um, gotcha. And... Generally, um, trans people have very different uh, feelings about this. Um, a lot of trans people don't like their um, previous name out there. Some don't care. Sort of where I land is um, I'm kind of open with friends about it, but uh, if it comes up. But publicly, I think that, like, uh, there's a narrative when it comes to trans people about um, – sort of this like before and after thing where I think cis people are very interested in like, who were you before you transitioned and who are you now? And it's like, it's very much um, within a cis gaze, if that makes any sense. It's like, it's, it's kind of based off of a cis person's perception of what being trans is because the way I always describe it is like, it wasn't like I became another person. It's like I've always been this person and I slowly just like took my outside and just brought it closer to the core of myself. And um, so the reason why I choose not to disclose what my uh, name was before my transition is because I, I feel that it can place, um, place it within that before and after narrative, which is not something I personally want to perpetuate. Okay. Um, do you want to know what your name means? Oh, absolutely. I mean, so when I chose my name, I'm sure I looked Dang up it. what it meant, and I don't remember. <laughs> okay. So I look forward to being reminded. Okay, so I find it fascinating, actually. Um, Dana is a derivative of Daniel, which is you know, my name. And uh, so we yeah. have the same meaning. We have the same meaning, which is uh, God is my judge, which I love, which means. I love that too. Yeah. No one, no one can judge you, but God. Um, 
And Aliyah, which is beautiful, I think, uh, it means ascending. Yes. Okay? Yeah. Beautiful. Levinson. You know what Levinson means? Well, I know that because uh, I'm a super Jew. <laughs> I know <laughs> that it, par- it, it partially means uh, from the tribe of Levi. Yeah. Um, but I don't know meaning beyond that. And you know who Levi was? Yeah, like the um, Le- like the rabbis and scholars and high priests, right? He, Levi, specifically Levi, the man, was the grandfather of Moses. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, yeah. God is my judge, ascending tribe of Levi. Uh, holy shit. I, I, you know, however that resonates with you. I, when it, yeah. What do, you, what do you think? That sounds pretty epic. Yeah. And also, it's funny, because I'm like... I'm very close to my, like, Jewish ethnic identity. Um, and right. I recently just, like, went in on Ancestry.com. And, like, all of – I swear this has a point relevant to what you just said. And all of my, um, all of my like, family bloodlines go cold at, like, the Holocaust and the pogroms and all of that, except one family bloodline, my mom's mother's bloodline – which then starts stretching back and back. And then I suddenly um, get a notification that I'm connected to another family tree, and um, that family tree was the Anne Frank family tree. So her uh, two times great-grandparents were my five times great-grandparents. And um, then there's been extensive research on her and her you know, family tree, and because we sort of branch off, but at one point we were in the same direct line, I then got all of this information, and I found out I'm just related to a ton of really important rabbis throughout history, which is fascinating Amazing. to me. And so to me it's like the um, when you say that to me, it feels sort of like honoring my family history in a way, which feels Absolutely. really nice. Yeah. Um, okay, so the reason I had you on the show, um, and because you know this is this show, my podcast is it's we usually talk about movies and we, you know, um, branch off off of that, and so obviously we we got to talk about Harry Potter, um, and we got to talk mm-hmm. about the books, and we have to talk about your um um letter to JK. Yep. Um which was extremely moving and uh highly educational. And um so but there's there's two movies that I'd like to talk about first just to to get the conversation rolling um on in the film world. So I just saw a documentary. Well, let's talk about this. Let's talk about the matrix. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. This was a movie. This was a movie that that 
you know, totally blew my mind. Um, at the core of it, the question that the oracle asks Neo is, is, is know thyself. Mm-hmm. When you truly, do you, do you know yourself? When you truly know yourself, well, that's when you achieve the greatest, most powerful version of yourself. Right. And, and I was thinking about, you know, how it's, you know, there is no spoon. You know, the whole, the, the mind over matter, I think, therefore, I am. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I know, therefore, I am. I know I am a, a woman in your case, and therefore you are. Um, that's yeah. how, I feel like this, this is an existential conversation I'm learning. This is not about biology. I mean, biology is like a, a sliver of it. This is, right. I, you, have to talk, you have to talk about this in terms of like, you know, psychology and quantum physics. And it's, like, it's, it's, it's big. And now, yeah. now with the Wachowski brothers and the Wachowski sisters. Right. Um, so what I are was, they? What are they? Say, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I was about to say there's been a lot of conversation about within the trans community of like reviewing the matrix within the context of now knowing what both Lana and Lily were dealing with on the inside. And just that same message of like uh, living in a reality that is constructed by someone else and then learning to know yourself to break free of that reality is like, it's really trans. (laughs) It's a very like trans kind of concept. And I've been, I've been learning. um, I know trans is for, is for transitioning, right? That's the trans. Um, well, but I feel like, is that what it is? Because I feel like there's well, a, another meaning there for like transcendental, you know? Well, it's, it's more referring to just an abbreviation for transgender, but transgender is also an umbrella term um, that can encompass so many different identities. Um, but what is, yeah, what is the, and basically, what is the suffix though? What is what is the trans suffix? Does that mean fluid? What does that actually mean? So the um, so trans in in terms of the word transgender means like my gender identity is on the quote unquote opposite side of the sex that I was assigned at birth. Okay. And also that's something that a lot of people don't understand is that gender, sex, expression are all different facets of this that can all be different things. So it's like, um, you know, I think that, I think that, um, so, sorry, to go back to the original question. So it means, um, it literally means across from. And then the reason why, uh, the reason why the term cisgender came into common parlance is, um, I mean, it's a term that's been used by the medical community as soon as the medical community started pathologizing trans identity, but it just started coming into the mainstream usage really in the last, like, 20 years. Um, But cis means on the same side of. So then what that's saying when you say someone is cisgender is that their gender identity is on the same side of the sex that they were assigned at birth. And it's just so we're not um, uh, it's not, it's so that we're not 
when we talk about trans people and cis people uh, to make sure that we're not um, singling out or othering trans people in the conversation. So it's not like, oh, yeah, I know this trans woman and then this other woman who, you know, was born a woman and then, like, all of these qualifiers come in that just then the conversation right. spirals out of control. Um, yeah. Um, okay, so the so what is, what is the what so what do they say what what are you t what what are the trans what's the transgender opinion about the Wachowskis um, are they I mean I, I what, uh, yes tell me <laughs> I know that you want um, I know that you want to I know that you want to go back and you want to review the mute movies. Um, from that point of view. Um, and are you hoping that they continue to make movies from that, from that perspective, you know, that, that's, that are about that, that, su that support the trans uh, transgender movement? I mean, I think that visibility in and of itself is support. So I think Lily and Lana just existing in the world and making movies with major studio backing in and of itself does great things for the community. Um, and, you know, I obviously know community is monolithic, but my opinion and, and the opinion of most trans people that I speak to is um, very positive with the Wachowski sisters um, and just the feeling that they are advancing trans narratives in a um, nuanced and interesting and non-objectifying kind of way. I mean, uh, separate from the Matrix, like Sense8 prominently featured a trans character whose story was, you know, informed by her being trans, but was not about her being trans. I got to see that. I got to watch that. Everyone's telling me I have to watch that. Um, so good. Yeah. Uh, James, you still there? How you doing, buddy? I'm right here, and I'm listening to everything. It's wonderful, wonderful <laughs> conversation. <laughs> please, you know, please jump in, you know, whatever. Um, okay, so I, 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 I love Sense8. Here's what I'll say. Watch Sense8. Go ahead. Beautiful, beautiful yeah, amazing yeah. series. Amazing series. Yeah. And I think one yeah, of the yeah. things that's so exciting about it is, the, you know, not that I know the Wachowskis, but looking at their um, their work, it was the next step which was the importance of community and the, yep. the, the, the depth of our connection across gender lines and across racial lines and across geographic lines, that how we're all inextricably connected if we allow ourselves to actually feel that. Yep. Um, so the other movie I saw recently, and I watched it with my wife and, and my, my daughter, my uh, seven-year-old daughter, and it's a, it's a, I was very proud of her. Um, and the doc was called Growing Up Coy. Have you guys, uh, you heard about this one? Yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. Um, you got to watch it, Dana, because it's, I think it's, um, it's a very special story. And I think that uh, it's extremely moving. And it really helped me understand, um, as a parent, um, the 
the psychology of it. And um, so I'm watching it, and it's about this um, this uh, little boy, born as a boy, and but whole beginning of her life um, miserable, miserable. Never wanted mm-hmm. to go outside. Never wanted. Never wanted to be seen as a boy. Mm-hmm. And just miserable. Would would wouldn't wouldn't leave the house. Only liked to wear um, uh, feminine things. And was that, even at a early age was saying, you know, when are we? Uh, when when can I be more like a girl? You know, um, mm-hmm. when can we? You know, remove some of these extraneous stuff here. <laughs> and, um, and and then you see, they said, okay, we're going to let her um, be herself. And so she she let her hair grow out. It's like she couldn't. She hated her hair to be short. Um, and they just did everything that would that that made her happy. And she was just so happy. And going to school and totally accepted. And going, you know, to the bathroom that she was comfortable going in, um, the girls' room. Everybody accepted her. And then one day the the principal turns around and says, you know. We have to, um, we actually have to address this because one day Koi is going to get older and um, maybe the girls in the locker room are going to, you know, start to notice things and they're going to be uncomfortable and Koi may be uncomfortable. So then Koi wasn't allowed to use something that she's, she's using the girls' bathroom her entire formative life. She, no, mm-hmm. she, and, and then she's told, no, you got to go use the boys' room. Right. And she was terrified. So um, my daughter, Edie, who I often glean tremendous information from because I feel both of my girls, um, they just have Buddha knowledge. You know, they're, they're closer to the, you know, great beyond than I am. You know, they were, they were, right. you know, there, you know, um, and uh, she was only seven years away from being next to the the ultimate consciousness. So she said the way she summed this up was, I mean, the, the minute you see Koi on screen, my daughter goes, oh, God, I love her. I love her. Halfway through the movie, she goes, she's so brave. And then toward the end of the movie, she goes, he goes, oh, my God, I'd be so scared to be forced to have to go use a bathroom I didn't want to. And then at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. she goes, you know, you really can't know what it's like to be transgender unless you're transgender. And fuck, if I, if I did not start tearing up at the genius of this kid's words. Um, and I'm just, I, it's such simple logic and I, I I just don't understand how more intelligent people just can't get on the same page um, I well, you, uh, know, you know yeah, Dan I, I can say that you know one of the things that's been so inspiring to see 
over the past 20 years. Like, you know, when we started the Trevor Project, it was really just for gay and lesbian young people. And then became for, you know, bi and then for trans. Like, we would, you know, we kept adding on these letters um, that stood for whole populations. But one of the things that's been so inspired is to see the parents of these young children being able to respond and change. Like they, that is something yeah. that's relatively new. You know, that this has never happened in the history of our species. As, you know, where like these young children are being able to determine who they are. Like usually in many societies, even like indigenous societies, that it comes later in life where people get to understand who they are when they're in their teens. But the fact that a four-year-old can know who they are and a parent can make that change, I think it's just so inspiring. This whole generation of parents who are beginning to actually respond to the truth about who their parent, their children are really should be commended. It's important to remember, it's, for many people, it's a relatively new concept. Yeah, I was on that. What I was going to say is, um, it's relatively new in like national consciousness. It's yeah, like something yeah. that I always explain to people is, you know, the process of medical transition wasn't invented on a whim, and then trans people came into existence because medical transition existed. Medical transition was developed to answer the needs of a population that existed and had existed for thousands and thousands of years and basically since the beginning of humanity that had no course of treatment. So there's been documentation of, you know, people who were, um, you know, living as one gender or another that was different from what they were assigned at birth, basically going back for the entire history of humanity. And the only difference is, now we have sort of a Western context and knowledge and understanding of it, which is incredible and a huge difference. I mean, like, if I had the knowledge and understanding when I was a kid, you know, to talk about my identity, I probably would have transitioned way younger than I did. Um, you know, a big part of the reason why I didn't is because I didn't know what all of the feelings that I was feeling were, you know? So I think there is this general awakening that's going on where. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Just like, you know, I remember, so I'm old enough that I remember when I came out as gay originally because that's what I did first because I didn't have any uh, knowledge or understanding of what being trans was just yet. And I remember even then having, because I came out as gay when I was 11, and having like the parents of my friends saying that I was too young to know and like that I was just like confused or experimenting or whatever. And I think any 
gay person or queer person can attest that like there's no such thing as too young like I knew as soon as like I knew since I was in elementary school that I was getting crushes on boys you know and um so I think it's just given that same power of self-identification over the last several years to younger and younger people as the general populace becomes more and more aware of what trans identity means and therefore the language of trans identity is more ubiquitous throughout uh, Western society. Mm-hmm. Well said, well said. Um, <laughs> I, I'm just going to have to jump off because I, um, I have another call okay. that I take. But I love yeah. having this conversation. I love listening to both of you. Um, thank you, James. Uh, Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Dating. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. James is James is great. Um Yeah. He's been he's been like a real guardian angel for my wife. Um mm. I uh Okay, so you obviously have you read everything that JK her tweets and her um her essay and everything that she, that she put out? Mhm. Um, and, you know, it's like, it's epic, you know, (laughs) she she put out a lot of information, um, and I, you know, I feel like I, I reached out to her, I wanted her to be on the call, you know, I want, I wanted her, or, you know, either on this call or, or a call down the line, because I really wanted to hear from her, you know. Um, right. Because I feel I feel like, and as you know, as a fan of her work, I mean, she's like, you, she, she, I, you would hope that she would be a voice, <laughs> a hero, uh, for the the transgender equality, for acceptance, for you. You would think, um, reading her work, that she's already taken a fucking you know course in it. <laughs> she's already taken a PhD right. because. It's already in right. there. It's embedded, which is um, yep. Which is why, which is why, uh, in your uh, letter to Joe, when you that you got emotional when Daniel said, you know, please try to keep your relationship with the stories because, you know, the stories themselves transcend the person, um, the artist, right? The the artist, the the Lucas Star Wars. All the same issues in Star Wars came up, you know. Um, yep. All of these, these but the, the thing about these mega franchises is that you know they 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 keep on rolling ahead. You know, money money speaks. Right. You know, but hopefully, they these movements happen and future uh, iterations of the franchise start to uh, reflect uh, society more. Um, right. Okay, so I think I think that since she's not here, I would just like to go back and forth and, and sort of you know talk about your letter, and then I've taken excerpts from her letter um, that I would love to just kind of break down and comment, uh, you know, get your feedback on that um, in real time here if you're cool with that. Yeah, sure. Okay, um, and I you know because I think that like. My wife keeps on telling me, you know, because I I, I just had a podcast um, 
for about you know uh, the current you know riots and, and Black Lives Matter and you know she just keeps on telling me just listen just listen and I know I know you know you're an actor listening is ninety yep. percent of it you know we're we're I'm I'm here to learn and I don't think we're going to find all the answers but I think that what we're going to do is create a conversation and it could be helped by improv the core. Um, method in the, in the at the core of improv is yes and instead of no this is why I'm right <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. which is what's happening here where, where people get divided you know you don't get any answers you just get people defending their own uh, their own side but this is should well, that's be why... what you did with your letter which was yes and you know yeah I wanted to explicitly with that letter, um, you know, it's the, anyone in the trans community has known about, you know, a sort of sideways retweet there and a sort of, you know, uh, sideways, you know, liked tweet here for years. And um, I have watched those um, things sort of erupt and I've sort of sat on the sidelines. And what I've observed is um, a lot of people with a lot of anger, and I think very valid anger, sort of come back at her. And then that anger leaves her feeling attacked. I mean, I don't want to, this is just an observation. I don't want to put words in her mouth. my perception is it leaves her feeling attacked, which then entrenches her point of view, which then exacerbates, you know, trans activists' point of view, which then further entrenches her point of view. And I just wanted to um, write something from a place of openness and vulnerability because based off of who she is in every other facet and in the stories that she wrote, it's like, I have to believe that she has the ability to learn about this and be a better ally to our community and understand us. And I wanted to approach with openness and vulnerability and sort of show her that we're not just, you know, on Twitter attacking her, that we're her fans also who are getting hurt. And, um, yeah, so that was the angle that I wanted to kind of approach from. Okay, so I want to take an excerpt from your letter, and then I just want to go and I took a couple of excerpts from J.K.'s letter, and then we can kind of analyze everything she says. Thank mm-hmm. you for this, because I think it's just so helpful for people to really, you know, dissect this, understand it. So, um, okay, so this is from your letter. You said... Much of the basis for violence against trans women is predicated on the idea that we are not who we say we are, that our gender isn't real. It's based in the idea that we're tricking people or acting at being or pretending to be a woman. I understand from the things you have written, JK, that you don't believe you are causing harm, but by delegitimizing trans identity, you are uh, perpetuating the very narratives that exacerbate violence against our community. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so she says, um, she says, what I didn't expect in the aftermath of my cancellation was the avalanche of emails and letters that came showering down upon me, the overwhelming majority of which were positive, grateful, and supportive. They came from a cross-section of kind, empathetic, and intelligent people, some of them working in fields dealing with gender, uh, dysphoria, and trans people who were all deeply concerned about the way a socio-political concept is influencing politics, medical practice, and safeguarding. They're worried about the dangers to young people, gay people, and about the erosion of women's and girls' rights. Above all, they're worried about a climate of fear that serves nobody, least of all trans youth. It's been clear to me for a while that the new trans activism is having or is likely to have, if all its demands are met, a significant impact on many of the causes I support because it's pushing to erode the legal definition of sex and replace it with gender. Okay, and then just one more thing. But it isn't enough for women to be trans allies. Women must accept and admit that there is no material difference between trans women and themselves. What do you think so there's about a lot that? to unpack in that. So there's a lot to unpack yeah. in that. So the first thing that I want to explain, just so people have an understanding of um, when we say violence against our community. So statistically, according to the CDC in the United States, this is the homicide rate per 100,000 people. So for everyone, just like the general public, six people are murdered per 100,000. And then if you single out just trans people generally, 13 are murdered per 100,000. If you zero in on just the Latinx community, then it's five people who are murdered per 100,000, but it's 55 trans people murdered per 100,000 if you just zero in on trans people. And then when you look at black people in the United States, and this is why we talk about violence against trans women so often, we're really talking about violence against black trans women who sit at the center of misogyny, transphobia, and racism all in one body. And so for black people who are trans, oh, black people generally, it's 23 homicides per 100,000 people. And then for black trans people, it's 1,170 homicides per 100,000 people. So that's what we're talking about. And firstly, um, I feel a lot of that argument is a straw man argument. You know, firstly, for me as a trans person, I am not arguing that I am the same as a cis woman. I am, I in no way would argue that. My experiences are completely different than a cis woman's experiences. What trans women are arguing, and also I will say I'm, I'm only coming at this from my perspective as a trans woman, um, and I will speak as best as I can to issues that are raised that are more centered on trans men and issues that are raised that are um, more centered on non-binary people. But um, I don't know a single trans woman who wants um, cis women to take a step back and say that we're exactly like they are. What I hear most often is we want recognition that our, that our validity and our identity is still valid 
regardless of the sex that we were assigned at birth. And the issue is that too often people use biological arguments like, oh, you don't have a uterus. Oh, you, you know, didn't have a girlhood. Oh, you didn't have this to say that, therefore, you are not a woman. And that's what we are pushing back against, is arguing that trans girlhood and trans womanhood is a valid female experience that might be different than a cis woman's experience, but it's still valid. And the other thing when she's talking about trans children is this also, I think, needs to be contextualized specifically within the UK in that um, the uh, punching bag of the right wing in the UK recently has been uh, specifically trans children and even beyond that, a category, uh, uh, organization called Mermaids, which provides uh, services for young trans people and their families. And a lot of the fear-mongering around that organization has been about pushing children into transition and that it's like the trans agenda to like get children to transition. And it's like, first off, that's not a thing. Like, it's just not a thing that's happening. It's not a thing that's widespread. It's not an argument that really is even worth being given the time of day. And the other piece of that is like, still, um, the uh, what people don't understand about like the medical protocol for treating trans children is it's not like you know a doctor is rushing in there and giving a ten year old hormones and performing surgery. It's like that's not what's happening. If a kid chooses, they can go on hormone blockers, which will delay the puberty of whatever sex they were assigned at birth. And then when they are older, if they choose to take what's called cross-sex hormones, they can. And basically, for young trans girls, that would stop their body from masculinizing. And then if when they're older, they decide they want to uh, take feminizing hormones, then they can. And they won't have to contend with any of the things that trans women who had to experience a testosterone-induced puberty have to deal with, and, the, and vice versa for young trans boys, where it would halt female puberty. But the thing about hormone blockers is if by the time that child reaches adulthood and they decide they want to go through the puberty of the sex they were assigned at birth, all they have to do is go off of those blockers. So it's not like harm is being done or children are being coerced into doing anything. It's like these organizations exist to aid trans children who exist. It's the same thing I was talking about where uh, medical transition came into usage and was developed because trans people existed and there was no course of treatment. These organizations have come into being because trans children exist. Trans children don't exist because these organizations are making them trans. And then the last piece of that that I want to... Um, well, two things that are sort of intertwined is even the idea that protecting trans rights harms young women and girls is in and of itself transphobic because it's predicated on this queer phobic notion that trans people, especially trans women, are inherently predatory or perverted or, you know, trying to gain access to women's facilities to prey on women, which is 
a complete straw man argument that literally has never happened. And in fact, all of these protections that are protecting trans people in bathrooms and in locker rooms and all of that, again, it's in reaction to a problem. And the problem was that trans people were being assaulted in bathrooms and locker rooms verbally, sometimes sexually, sometimes physically, by cis people who felt that they didn't belong in there. So these laws were come up with, people came up with these laws to protect trans people so that they had recourse and they had the law on their side when they were faced with violence. So it was a solution to a problem that was happening. And then what has happened in response is that cis women, or a certain subset of cis women, I should say, um, are basically trying to defend their right to throw trans women out of the bathroom. And they're predicating it on fear-mongering about what trans women, women might do in the bathroom or in locker rooms or, you know, et cetera. And then the last bit of that, of that point that I, I need to address is no one is trying to erase the concept of sex. What trans people are saying is sex and gender are different things, which is 100% correct and is supported by the medical community and the psychiatric community. Sex refers to, you know, certain biological markers and gender refers to your gender identity. And for most people, their sex and their gender match. And for trans people, it doesn't. And trans people are asking that our gender identity be recognized and accepted so that we can be a part of society and not pushed to the margins and not placed in scenarios where we are experiencing so much violence because that violence is a direct consequence of our marginalization. So, and, and furthermore, it's like, again, no one is erasing the gender binary. No one is saying that men and women don't exist. What they are saying is that and this is speaking a little bit for non-binary people, is like sexuality, gender is a spectrum. And there are also people who identify outside of the binary identities of male and female, and that also should be respected. And the truth is non-binary identity has existed literally for thousands and thousands of years. And it's nothing new, it's nothing modern, it's nothing scary. Um, and the fear-mongering about it is, is, in my opinion, a whole lot of straw man arguments to basically uh, uphold legal discrimination against trans people. And I think that um, the last thing I want to say is that there's, I think this knee-jerk reaction, especially with some kind of first and second wave feminists of a certain generation to feel like the fight for trans rights takes away from the fight for cis women in the face of sexism without acknowledging that like the fight for trans rights and the fight for, you know, women, cisgender women, it's the same fight. It's like we're both fighting against sexism and misogyny. We're both fighting the patriarchy. We're both fighting these mechanisms that cause violence to both of our communities. So it's like, my message with all of that is that fighting for trans people enriches 
feminism and doesn't leave girls out of the equation and doesn't leave women out of the equation, including young trans girls in the conversation makes it broader and more inclusive. It doesn't take away anything from anyone. The, yeah, the, the, it all comes down to, as, as far as I can see, it all comes down to the fact that J.K. was abused in, by her ex-husband. She has um, a fear. You know, it's, it's a totally rational fear. Uh, there's a, a, a percentage of men that are fucking assholes. You know that. You know, we, we know that. They're, they're aggressive and, and testosterone gets the best of them. And, um, and they weren't raised well. And so the question is, what, what happened? There, there are women like that too, but, you know, let's just talk about that one guy because she, the thing that set her off supposedly was, there was this uh, <clears throat> bill passed or rep, something passed uh, in Scotland that said um, that any man um, can just go in and just say, yes, I believe I'm a woman. Um, I'm a woman. And they get a certificate. And the fear is, you know, what if that one guy is a fucking pervert and then what if that one one guy does you know go into some ladies locker room and wreak havoc and just fucks it up for everybody you know what what is what is the answer well, for that where yeah well first off i need to push back a little bit on it's not saying that men can get a certificate and say that says that they're a woman and then therefore use the bathroom what it's saying is that trans women have protections using the bathroom, using the bathroom and just trans people generally, trans men, et cetera. And so first off, second off, then the fear mongering around that, it's like the argument that then I hear is like, oh, I'm not transphobic, but I'm worried about a man taking advantage of these protections for trans people to then like go and assault women in the bathroom. And it's like, first off, that has literally never happened. And trans people have been using the bathroom. What if it's some guy who doesn't even, who, who you know, just does it. To, what if a guy does that, you know? I'm, um, I'm getting there. Hold on. He doesn't even Hold associate so, with transgender. So, firstly, so the law, that is not what the law is allowing for. And um, secondly, statistically speaking, the most vulnerable people in locker rooms and public restrooms and public gendered public facilities are trans women. So the most vulnerable people are trans women. So then if you're forcing trans women to use men's bathrooms, you're putting them even at further risk of violence and assault. So that's number one. And then number two, men who want to assault women don't need to take advantage of a law meant to protect trans women to do so. If a man wants to assault a woman in a bathroom, he's going to do it. Like it's just the society that we live in. So 
again, for me, it's a whole straw man argument. And then beyond that, if a cisgender man pretends to be a trans woman to use a women's bathroom to then assault a cis woman, which has literally never happened, but even if it did, that assault would still be illegal. It's like, often when I see people make this argument, it's like the argument always ends with, and then that man would be able to say that he belonged in there because he was a woman. And it's like, that's not true. I mean, he might be, if he has that certificate, sure, entertaining this fantastical scenario that's not going to happen. He would be able to say that, uh, you know, oh, well, I have the certificate. But that doesn't give him license to then assault someone in the bathroom. Do you get what I'm saying? So it's like of course. This, this whole idea that, like, cis men are going to take advantage of these protections for trans people to, like, harm women is, again, just such a, a straw man argument. And, you know, my, my feeling uh, is, you know, trauma is real, and I don't want to take that away, but, um, you know, trans women did not do that to her, and trans women are not men. And if you know any trans women and know any trans women well, especially, like, if you're at a point where you're not what what we call cis-passing, where, you know, you're visibly trans to people, using the bathroom or using women's facilities is literally one of the most stressful, emotionally arduous experiences because our fear is that cis women are going to see that we're trans. And I have so many friends have stories about stuff like this happening and basically accost us and single us out in the bathroom and get us thrown out. So it's like trans women go in there, especially if they're visibly trans, just trying to like keep their head down, get in, pee, and get out. So again, this whole conflation with trans women uh, and like if we let trans women use the women's bathroom, then it's going to increase sexual assault and endanger cis women is just predicated on this like old trope that we're inherently predatory, which is just literally the complete opposite of reality when we are actually much more likely to be victims of predatory behavior than cisgender women are. And then the last thing I'll that. say on that also that. Is, like, yeah. is like whenever this, whenever this argument comes up, I'm also like they're always so fixated on trans women that they forget that trans men exist. So it's like if you are now saying that trans people have to use the bathroom that uh, corresponds with the sex they were assigned at birth, you're actually putting men into the women's room because you're putting trans men into the women's room. So who does that help? And who does, whose comfort does that help? How does that make sense? It, it doesn't make sense. I, I feel like there is no black and white answer for this. It's like, it's like, oh, fuck. I, you know, I, I feel like I feel like JK's problem is not with transgender women; it's with men. Um, 
I agree, and, and I think it's unfortunate that it's coming out sideways, and I think it's harming some of the most vulnerable people in the world. Um, and my other, uh, just to add something to that, where 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 would you feel most comfortable? you know, going to the bathroom, you know, like if it's, if it's fucking hell with cisgendered women and you don't want to go to their fucking men's room, like what, like what, what the, what's the, what's, what's the solution? I mean, for me, I've gotten to a point in my medical transition and this, and what I need to state first is this is not everybody, every trans person's goal. Um, but for me, um, it's a really complicated and thorny topic within the trans community, but um, I'm someone who is cis passing, meaning that like when I walk down the street, I'm not visibly trans, um, which was a transition goal of mine. So like for me at this point, I feel fine using the women's room because I know truthfully, I have butch cis, I have butch cisgender lesbian friends who would probably get kicked out of the bathroom under suspicion of being trans than I would. And right, okay. So for me personally, you know, I use the women's room and I would feel extremely unsafe using the men's room um, and extremely at risk of like violence using the men's room. And, um, you know, for that's going to be different for every trans person. I mean, also I'll say that when I was earlier on in my transition, I um, did not blend in with cis women as much as I do now. And while it was an incredibly nerve wracking experience, the idea of being visibly trans in a group of cis women was less nerve wracking than being visibly trans in a group of cis men in terms of risk for violence. And then you know, increasingly you're seeing uh, unisex bathrooms and increasingly you're seeing, if not just having every bathroom unisex, um, you're seeing um, at least a unisex bathroom option uh, for people who are non-binary and don't identify with the terms male or female at all or people who just might feel more comfortable that way. But the actual reality of what's going on is that it's not cis people who are at risk, it's trans people who are at risk. So flipping that in any way or like meeting people on the grounds of trying to explain that trans people are not a risk to cis people in the bathroom, like it already is like engaging with um, transphobic tropes that are just very uh, damaging to our community. Um, so I just want to just, just dissect this one last section of hers and then, um, okay, so the, the writings, the writings of young trans men reveal a group of notably sensitive and clever people the more of their accounts of gender dysphoria I've read with their insightful descriptions of anxiety, disassociation, 
eating disorders, self-harm, and self-hatred, the more I've wondered whether if I'd been born 30 years later, I too might have tried transition. The allure of escaping womanhood would have been huge. I struggled with severe OCD as a teenager. If I'd found community and sympathy online that I couldn't find in my immediate environment, I believe I could have been persuaded to turn myself into the son my father had openly said he'd have preferred. Okay, so now I'm totally confused. She is a shadowy reflection of you. And I just don't understand. So, I mean, is that, how, is that how you interpret it? So this is one of the oldest, oldest, oldest arguments against trans men, which is that they're just self-hating women, which is, it's just not true. And the thing about gender identity that I want people to understand is like, like close your eyes and imagine tomorrow you woke up in, in what we would call a female body that would feel uncomfortable for you. No one is going to persuade someone that their gender identity is anything other than it actually is. It's like one of the things I remember being told when I was like flirting with transitioning is um, being told that what, I was basically afraid. I was like, what if I transition and I regret it? And this um, sort of trans woman elder that I knew was like, when you start hormones, you're going to know real fast whether it's the right decision or not. And it's the reality of the fact. I mean, nothing for me was more affirming of my identity and that I was on the right path as when I actually started going down this path and got more and more comfortable in my own skin. And... The thing that also I want to uh, make clear is like issues in our community with eating disorders, substance abuse, depression, all of that sort of stuff, they are rampant in our community. But we don't transition because those things are issues. Those things are issues because we live in a world that delegitimizes our existence. So obviously I can't speak for all trans men, but it's like I have plenty of trans men, friends, you know, of mine who have struggled with disordered eating or stuff like that. And, you know, to be um, completely uh, frank, I mean, I was very open in my letter. Disordered eating is also something that I've, you know, struggled with in my life. And for me, before I transitioned, it was like the smaller I was, then the more feminine I felt. And then I felt better. And similarly, when I've spoken to trans men, it's like, you know, the um, uh, sort of trying to control body, our bodies, when our bodies feel totally out of control, when we're going through a puberty that is not aligned with who we feel we are, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And literally the, um, the trope of, trans men just have so much internalized sexism and misogyny that they become men to escape sexism and misogyny is like the oldest 
transphobic trope against trans men in the book. And it's like the reality is, again, no one is being convinced to be trans. It's like the biological and psychological basis for trans identity is so clearly defined in the medical community, both from doctors and mental health professionals, that any conversation, you know, that ignores that fact or even traffics in the conversation of maybe I could have been convinced to be trans is an effort to delegitimize trans identity and then also just completely ignores every medical professional consensus in the entire world, basically. Dana, I, um, are you there? Can you hear me? Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I have to wrap this up because I'm honestly, I'm sharing this line with, with my wife and she has another, yeah. she has another meeting coming up, but I want to just wrap this up with a, with just a, a final thought here. You, you thank you for your wisdom and your time. And I think, you know, if this is going to help my audience and the, you know, the ripples go out and I think, I think people are going to start understanding more. Um, I, I really appreciate you, you, you coming on to talk about yourself. It's, you know, it's, it's very brave. I, I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you for having me. Um, and how am I doing? Am I doing okay? <laughs> yeah. I'm very nervous. You're doing okay. You know, You're doing okay. I have to, you know, I, I, this is, I, I'm, you know, I've been dealing with some very large topics recently, obviously, and, um, I, you know, I'm not an investigative reporter, but it's moments like this where I, I kind of feel legitimate. So, you know, thank you for that as well. Um, yeah. Okay, so let me let me wrap up by, these are like my final thoughts on this, and then I'd love to hear your feedback on it. Um, yeah. So I, I've talked about, you know, definitely psychology and talking about quantum physics uh, in regards to trying to understand uh, transgender equality. And when I say, um, in you know, quantum physics, in, in the quantum field, we're living in the past, the present, and the future all at once. You know, we're in tr where everyone is in transition. Everyone is in flux. The caterpillar is the butterfly and vice versa. It, we're all in a constant state of movement and metamorphosis. Okay, reincarnation is the other one. Okay, the soul is infinite and the body is finite. Right? We. Who's to say that you, you know, you were a woman, you were a woman in your past life, and you know maybe you've been a woman in every single life, and you know it, there is this is a higher. Um, existential question here, and it, it can't just be, you know, I'm sorry to say, no pun intended, uh, it can't just be reduced to fucking locker room talk. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. um, this is my last thought. The yin is rising. The, the, the yin and the yang, that's, that's a, the yin-yang is a wheel. And it turns, and there are cycles, and we've just been in a huge 
you know, thousand year, several thousand year stint of yang energy, and we're moving into the yin now. And it's the it's the feminine energy, and the feminine army is forming. Okay, and people have to choose what side they're on, you know, to support. And 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 either it's the old male energy or it's going to be the new female energy. And I think that if I was a woman, I'd be absolutely delighted and flattered that the very concept, feeling and need to be a woman transformed and brought so many men to my side. And that's that's how I feel like that's how they feel. I feel like that you know, women like JK should, should try to create a philosophy around it. What, what do you think about what I just said? I, it's funny. I actually have an interesting story about that. And, and first off, I, I always just want to make sure, you know, I, um, in terms of people learning, um, that, uh, it's important not to refer to, uh, trans people as having been men who became women or having been women who became men. So it's not men who, you know, became women and came over to the female side. It's, you know, women who have the misfortune of having a mismatch between their gender identity and their sex who are willing to accept the woman inside and embrace it. And, you know, because, again, it's it's within that narrative uh, that we were talking about earlier of sort of cis people's um, uh, desire to place trans identity in this before and after sort of narrative of, like, we were X and then we became X. And the reason why us trans people have developed our own language around uh, our identity and around our transition and all of that is because we want the language to match our experience more. That's why, for example, we don't say born a boy or born a girl. We say assigned male at birth or assigned female at birth. Because, for example, when someone says to me, like, oh, you used to be a man, that doesn't resonate with me because I never felt like I was a man. That was the problem. So I just wanted to... uh, uh, address that, but I I very much appreciate the sentiment. And my kind of funny story about that is um, before I came out and transitioned, or I should say before I came out as trans and transitioned, um, my dad saw a psychic. And um, this was a very well-known psychic. um, And the psychic said to my dad, I have two brothers, um, and and the psychic said to my dad, Um, you have two sons and one daughter. And my dad was like, no, I have three sons. And rather than the psychic being like, oh, sorry, I meant three sons, or like trying to play it off, she was actually insistent that he had a daughter and that he had two sons and one daughter. And when my dad kept saying, no, I have three sons, she finally sort of waved him off and was like, no, you're misunderstanding me. I'm saying you might have, you know, three children that look like sons to you right now, but one of them has a female spirit. And then she went on to say that for that child, um, 
that this was the first time that that spirit had been born into a quote-unquote male body. And my dad, my dad didn't tell me about this until after I came out and after I started transitioning, and he has a tape of the session. But it, I, I, you know, I'm an actor and I'm an artist too, so I love all that stuff. Um, and I love the idea of past lives and, you know, um, where our soul's been and all of that sort of stuff. And um, I just thought that was an interesting story that goes right in line with what you were saying. It's absolutely interesting. She, I love that she knew your soul. Oh, yeah. uh, we just had Mike. Oh, we had someone. Hey, Hello. hey, Mike. Yeah. Mike, uh, hi. I'm on. <laughs> I'm on Jody's line <laughs> right now. Can you call back in five minutes? Absolutely, of course. No big deal. Thank you, brother. Sure, no problem. Okay. Ah, shit. I was hoping that wasn't gonna happen. That's really embarrassing. Okay. I'm glad I, I told you that might happen. I, I told the audience that I'm sharing the line. Uh, okay. Um, so, um, uh, Dana, I want to – I love that. I have, a, I have a section on my show called Tales from Beyond the Veil, and that fits perfectly in it. Um, yeah, she, you, that psychic New Year spirit, man. I, I, I love that. Um, yeah. And, and, and just to – Thank you for helping me understand that you were already a woman and you were coming home and you were coming into your own. And, and that, that's what yep. needs to be understood. That's, that's what needs to be. So you hopefully, hopefully, you know, JK, maybe she'll listen to this and, and she'll, she'll be able to, to hear that you were a woman all along, you know, and you were just, you know, you were just, Coming back home. I really, a fellow trans Harry Potter fan said to me, and I really do believe this, and again, I believe this because of the world that she created and continues to create. Um, they said to me that they feel like all that really needs to happen is for uh, J.K. Rowling to be willing to sit down with some trans fans of the world that she created and just talk and then maybe she might start to understand. And I believe that too. Um, I, I, you know, I've had plenty of cis women in my life who um, struggled with me coming out at first, who then majorly came around. And um, I think there's still room and space for her to do the same. Dana, maybe we can, uh, I don't know, maybe we can try to mediate something here. Um, thank you for coming on. I, I would, I'd love to have you back on again and talk about, um, some tales from beyond the veil, you know, psychic stuff. That would be, that would be fun. If you have any I would more. I love that. Tales. I have so many stories. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> great, great. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, I'm sorry to rush, but that was so informative. No, no worries. And I, I know thank my audience me. is going to really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Um, you know, stay safe. Uh, Godspeed. Thanks for yeah, coming on. Yeah, you too. All right. Thanks. Bye. Okay, bye.